When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's been a difficult week for the players, for the club, for the fans, for me. Fernandes, Ronaldo! Tottenham's nemesis with a special strike. I've stayed away from most of the noise. Chasing after it, plays in Ronaldo. Chops inside Ronaldo and he finds Cavani. Cavani! Never in doubt. What a finish. But you know what's happening out there, you know. That you have to put a performance up. Matic finds Rashford. Onside. Rashford! Game over. And United are back. This one's for Yes, hello. Happy Monday. Welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with me on the pod today, our club correspondent, Laurie Whitwell, and our regular contributor as well, United We Stand editor, Andy Mitton. Laurie, good morning to you. Good morning, Ian. You've got a spring in your step. Andy, good morning to you. Good morning, mate. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this is better, isn't it? Definitely. Um, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of a 3-0 away win at Spurs, which... It may not be as impressive as it sounds, but let's not worry about that for the minute. It was a reaction. That's exactly what we wanted. Laurie, what was it like being there? It was great. My first visit to the new stadium. So obviously I you know, did the obligatory uh, you know, uh, pictures posted to social media and, and you know, uh, waxed lyrical about it. But actually the performance on the pitch sort of merited the kind of uh, the atmosphere that was around it. Um, I thought it was uh, a really... It was, it was a not a brave decision by Solskjaer to change formation, perhaps because it obviously... The result necessary. was important. It was a necessary one, yeah. yeah. But it did mean that he had to leave big players out, I suppose. So Rashford, Greenwood, um, you know, Sancho, that he's obviously just spent £73 million on. And I suppose younger players, perhaps it's slightly easier to leave them out than it would have been, you know, Cavani or certainly Ronaldo. Um, but I still thought it was a formation that clearly he realised needed to be done to get a result in that game. And then the performance that followed, actually, they, they built on it. They got a solid start in the game and that they added... The players were able to sort of express themselves, weren't they, as, as the game went on? But it was a, it was an interesting atmosphere. And then, obviously, as as the game wore on, it turned out to be the other manager that was under the cosh from the, the home fans, and that was something that we haven't experienced at Old Trafford yet. I mean, <laughs> when he made that substitution for Lucas Moore, and he's, he's being told you don't know what you're doing. I mean, you just think Solskjaer, you know, fans theoretically could have hurled that at Solskjaer at some times in the past, but never have done. They've always stuck by him. So it was a an interesting window into another club. Sort of the how they might sort of approach a manager under pressure. Yeah, we heard from a view from the lane ahead of this game as well, Andy, didn't we? United are terrible, I think they said. Well, that, what does that make Spurs? Even more terrible because <laughs> they didn't play well. They didn't have a shot on goal. Um, the stadium is fantastic. It's the best in the league. I didn't think the atmosphere was particularly anything uh, special. don't think the Spurs fans really got behind uh, their, their team. 
And I thought it was really important that United avoided defeat, kept a clean sheet, and the win was was a big bonus because the mood had been terrible uh, among the supporters. The away end was was loud. It was busy. You had continued songs for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer throughout the game. I, I counted eight different songs uh, for him, but I thought it was needs must. Manchester United are not going to be playing this formation um, for any sort of period of time, but I think it was the right formation to play at Spurs. I think United conceding another two or three goals and another defeat would have would have been... I'm not saying that the manager would have been sacked because I've got no evidence that that was going to happen, but I think he called it absolutely right and thought the finishes were fantastic, thought Cavani was brilliant, Ronaldo's finish was superb, um, Bruno's set-up play. So I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed um, going to the, the, the ground and seeing fans in there for the first time because... Spurs was going to be the the game which United were going to play at just before the the lockdowns kicked in. So it was nice for fans to to get there and to see see the team win away. Yeah, there was a lot to enjoy about the game, about the performance, about the result. Uh, And like we've been saying there, the tactical switch played such a key role in it. Let's hear what Solskjaer then had to say about that switch to a back three, explaining the reasons after the game behind the move. There's many, many things behind the the tactics that we use today, but... One, of course, is uh, solidity. We managed to get uh, Rafael, put him right bang smack in the middle of that back four. We needed to control the, uh, the game with the ball, and we did. Uh, we got uh, Edinson and Cristiano to play together as a front two. We got the width from the wing backs. So today we felt that worked uh, and was going to work. Of course, if you change to a back three and and you don't uh, get the result, of course, you'll be scrutinised. So, But we, we felt it worked, and um, the coaches have, uh, have uh, done a very, very good job to, uh, to put that in place. Yeah, I texted you, Laurie, didn't I, after the game to sort of say the formation protected Shaw and Maguire, which was absolutely necessary. It seemed to give Fred and McTominay an ability to influence the game rather than just plugging holes everywhere. Uh, and, it, and it supplied Ronaldo, didn't it? I mean, I've watched so many matches already with Ronaldo in the team where he's just not getting the type of service that he's going to need if he is going to be a threat for United and a success at Old Trafford. And it provided that more, this formation. Yeah, it, ma- it matched up with what United needed from the situation. I mean, and you've got to give a hat tip to Andy Mitten because we did a prediction, or at least which formation would we select for the Athletic? And, and Andy absolutely nailed it. So um, I'll be asking him for the lottery numbers <laughs> later. Um, but I suppose, you know, he and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could see that, yeah, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw did need that protection because they're, they're having a bit of a mare, weren't they, since the Euros. And I think that just gave them... There were certain situations where there were Tottenham were on the attack and there was an extra body there to cover, basically. You know, so there was actually uh, one moment where um, Maguire slid in with a sliding tackle um, to, to cover from I think Lindelof that had got beaten by Son. So you know, there was those moments where it and it felt like they could then that galvanised them into a kind of you know a togetherness where they were all sort of fighting for each other. Yeah. Uh, and once you've got that platform, then you can go and express yourselves. And yeah, you're right. I mean, having Cavani and Ronaldo up top. Ronaldo with somebody so close to him that understood him. He doesn't quite seem to have got that connection yet with Mason Greenwood, for example. So, you know, Cavani seems to... I mean, that that, that sequence of play where Bruno wins the ball back and then Ronaldo checks and, and plays in Cavani, it's, it's only, you know, it's one touch sort of 
to, to control the ball and then one touch to play it in from Ronaldo, for example. And it just showed the kind of understanding that they've managed to get. Uh, and I was interested by Solskjaer saying that, you know, Cavani had put in the best training session um, that he'd, you know, he'd ever seen on a, tu- on, yeah, on a Tuesday, yeah. which is some some statement. Yeah. And I think early on in the week, you could tell that Solskjaer, I think Solskjaer's wanted to try and get Cavani and Ronaldo up top since since he's signed uh, Ronaldo. But the, the players that they've got, the formation, how, how do you get those two up top? 4-4-2 doesn't work with the players you've got. 4-4-2 diamond is a bit of a, a mixed match. Uh, and, and then this is the obvious one where it does seem to fit mostly. I questioned whether Wan-Bissaka would be the, you know, the best sort of right wing back in that in that scenario but actually he was actually all right he had a, he? He had a good game yeah he actually yeah. got forward quite frequently and, and did all right I mean the crossing still could use work but there, wow. there was <laughs> there was there was lots of different um performances that did um that, that where, where players really shone because they had that protection they had that kind of understanding you look at the way the midfield was close to the defense and close to the attack they were, you know, it was a, it was a unit rather than a disparate group of players um and just I, I Got to say a word on Scott McTominay actually because I thought I agreed with Solskjaer that he was probably United's you know best player even for all the kind of goals that they scored and the, the defensive situations they managed to get out of I thought he just really had a composure in midfield broke forward through through the lines a couple of times some some really nice passes that put United in good positions um, and and showed the kind of character that you want in a situation like this when your managers. You know, it feels like he's on the brink. Um, you know, with a bad performance, McTominay was there at the end. You know, sort of ten minutes from time, rallying uh, the players, sort of telling them to stay switched on. So, um, I know that's perhaps easier said than done when you when when you're winning a game. But still, I thought it was an important moment. Yeah, Andy, it was a strike force that looked like a Saga Holidays advert, really. But the old boys, boy, did they know how to enjoy themselves in London. Well, you've got two world class strikers there, and if you're going to play a defensive formation, you need players up front who are going to take their chances and I know Mason Greenwood is an excellent finisher but I think the two who played up front were most likely to to score the chances and that proved to be the case. I also think that the team was chosen um, to take out the risk players, the the ones who would be more likely to, to lose the ball. I think he went for like a really trusted, safe um, side and the fact that Varane came back, which wasn't known until quite late, really helped because he had a fantastic game. He brings a calmness to the defence and clearly is a world-class player. And you had Bruno behind knitting it together. It was really important for Bruno. I think I wouldn't have been stunned if Bruno was dropped, actually. But the the 5-3-2, um, it, it worked. And I think it was always going to work. Um Maybe the first five minutes, if whoa, but but United played really well in the in in the first half, and grew and just controlled the game completely. Spurs were poor, but United made them look poor. And Laurie said Scott McTominay it was fantastic, and and Fred as well brought an energy um, to the pitch. I spoke to him by the side of the pitch because before the game, as he was warming up, and I've not seen him in in COVID times. But I do actually um, speak to him normally, and he looked at me, and I, I just I looked at him and 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 said hello, and he was obviously had better things to do like ping the ball to Cristiano Ronaldo, and both said long time, long time, yeah, yeah, and uh, that that was basically it. So not a very particularly interesting conversation, <laughs> but chat. we both agreed it being a long time since we spoke to each other. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you established that. <laughs> There's the front page of the New York Times for tomorrow with that interesting conversation. <laughs> but I thought I thought he did well. I thought um, 
I just, I just, I just really enjoyed it, and the, the, the goals were superb. And you mentioned Aaron Wambasaka, um, and there are doubts about him clearly, but he was good in in attack and he was good in defence, and there was a lot of energy about him. Um, a couple of bookings uh, picked up, but yeah, just, just I don't think United were going to be seeing this all the time, but it was absolutely the right thing to do. Do you not think they'll continue with this, then, Andy? I think they know that they can play that formation and it works. I also know and that when Varane was brought in, it was to give the team an option of playing free at the back, like a really quality free at the back, because I think Eric Bailly is one of those risk players as well, where he can be very good, but he can make pretty clumsy mistakes. So I think it, I think it works. I just don't think it's United's um, style to be playing that formation in the long run, but if it gets results, and I thought it was an entertaining game on Saturday. I don't think it was like really boring. The, the goals were fantastic. Um, it worked, so I wouldn't be surprised to see it again. I really like Cavani, and I really like I like Rashford coming off, off off the bench as well. But Cavani is a player I'd like to be seeing a lot more of because I feel that he finished last season really, really strongly and was maybe unfortunate at the start of this season with Cristiano uh, coming in, with him having to quarantine, etc., but he was fantastic on Saturday. Yeah, and comments like Tuesday being the best training performance Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has ever seen certainly shows that Cavani deserves these starts and deserves more time in that first eleven as well. Let's talk about the goals, Andy, because like you said, they were absolutely fantastic. I love this from Andy G, who got in touch to say, not a question, but that Ronaldo goal made me jump up and shout, what a fucking goal. Then my four-year-old nephew went on to repeat those exact same words, so... Not a great example in being an uncle, to be honest, Andy, but a great comment nonetheless. Let's hear from Ronaldo. Then he doesn't often do interviews, but he did after Tottenham and after that brilliant goal as well. We knew it before the game that we, we had a tough week. Uh, we had a, a result that we didn't expect. The team was a little bit under pressure, a little bit sad. We didn't expect the last results in the Premier League, but you know, uh, I hope this time we, we change uh, the page. And uh, we have to be happy for this, this amazing afternoon. We win uh, 3-0 in a way stadium against a difficult team. And uh, we are so, so pleased for that and happy. Not only for the coach, for the club. It's normal. The club, it's, it's so big and uh, the criticism is always there. For me, it's not bothering me because, you know, I, I play 18 years football, so I know that one day is perfect and another day we are crap. But we knew that today we, we give a good answer. We play good. We start the game very well. Of course, my job is to help the team with, you know, my experience with goals, with assistance. And I, and I did today and I'm, I feel so pleased for that. But in terms of uh, team, it was unbelievable performance, in my opinion. You can tell Cristiano's back in Manchester mixing with the locals when he uses a term like crap in the post-match interview. I'm not sure exactly how that translates in Portuguese, but brilliant. I mean, Laurie, the theme from that, actually, and it's been a real theme of the last week from Manchester United, whether that be the messages coming out of the club about Solskjaer's future, the reaction at Tottenham at the weekend, but a, a, a true sense of togetherness, really. Once all the briefing and once all the sort of speculation about who said what and who did what was over... There was a real sort of togetherness about that performance and, and about the atmosphere around that performance as well. 
within the club and also in regards to the manager? I think it shows the professionalism of the people involved because whatever your opinions might be on whether things could be better and what could change to make things better, ultimately, you know, you're paid to play football and get out on the pitch and try and win games. And that's clearly what they did. Um, I think Solskjaer resolved on Monday after, you know, going through the Liverpool game that absolutely he had to make changes, that he had to he had to use pragmatism really um, because, you know, he tried being offensive against Villarreal with, with just, you know, Scott McTominay is that sort of holding midfielder almost and, you know, they got sort of torn apart and then Atalanta and, and then um, Liverpool as well. I mean, people might say he could have changed it for the Liverpool game, basically, you know, Paul Scholes saw, saw that come in um, and, and would have back three have worked. I mean, I suppose the difference being Rafael Varane wasn't fit then. And I think Alex Tellis was a, was an option as a left wing back um, if he wasn't fit for the Spurs game and, and Luke Shaw as a centre back again. Um, but it did show that everyone had an idea in mind, had a plan. They, they do, you know, respect Solskjaer as a guy, as a manager, um, you know, whether or not some of them think that he's definitely the guy to take them to the next level. I think they could all see the situation there. And as Ronaldo's, you know, talking about that he's, he's been through all kinds of situations in his career hasn't he where you know he's, he's you know, been at Real Madrid where you're under the spotlight under the microscope every single week and even a, a you know perhaps a, a a win that isn't you know absolutely convincing gets criticism and, and the white hankies out but yeah clearly as you said I think they they, they resolved early in the week to to make a change they'd all gone into it they bought into it sorry um it, it wasn't, wasn't like you've got people that are kind of disagreeing with it I think they could all see that something significant had to shift uh, and and then they worked on it, and and you can see it it does reap benefits for them. You know they've they played it before previously. Solskjaer's used it in in big games. You know there's a couple of times at Stamford Bridge that I can remember where it's worked against Man City. It's worked. Um, you know in in the game before lockdown and and Liverpool as well. There was a, obviously a time when Solskjaer was had a, a much poorer squad and and used it with Dan James and Rashford as split strikers against Liverpool, and they were sort of you know five minutes away from beating. Um, a team that was going to go on to win the title so um, yeah it has worked and so that's why I can see it possibly coming out again I mean I'm even thinking Atalanta and Man City these two games back to back now would you shift it or would you just keep it the way it is because then you've got that security This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, so return to Atalanta next, then for Manchester United. We can't rest on that Spurs result for too long. And I'm delighted to say that we can welcome the Athletics' Italian football sage, James Horncastle, to talk of the Devils. James, thank you for doing this. Um, quite conveniently, Tottenham have just sacked Nuno, and it sounds like they're going to make a play for Antonio Conte. And for some reason, 
You've written an article about Conte this week, even before that Tottenham news. I can't possibly think why you would want to talk about that on a Manchester United podcast. Well, my first reaction is I think United have missed a bit of an opportunity, to be honest, um, because it's in another elite manager who's kind of passed them by. I know United will have their reasons and people will be divided about that. Certainly the piece that we wrote about, you know, why Conte would, in my opinion, represent an upgrade on Ole uh, did divide opinion uh, below the line. But, um, but yeah, things happen very quickly in football, as we all know. Yeah, they certainly do. And a result like the Tottenham result and indeed the Liverpool result before that changes things, it seems, one way or another at Manchester United. I mean, James, in terms of, of Conte, in your mind, is it a clear upgrade then on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Is there any debate about it whatsoever in terms of his suitability for United? Uh, suitability, I think, is the big question, isn't it? Um, because I think if you look at coaching pedigree, um, I think it's it's no contest um, between between Ole and Antonio. Um, you know, Antonio's cut his teeth at kind of every level. Got promotion, Siena and Bari um, for, for what that is worth. But you know, basically went down the lower leagues, did the hard hard uh, yards, uh, and then at every job he's been to, he's not just delivered on expectation. Really, he's he's kind of overachieved. I mean, people forget. What he inherited at Juventus, that was the Juventus side that had not won anything since Calciopoli had finished seventh in back-to-back -back, uh, years, uh, even in Agnelli's first year, um, to the point that, that that club no longer appealed to star players. You know, they, they had Robin van Persie come over to Turin, showed him the training ground, presented to him, and he said, no, sorry, I prefer to, to go to Manchester United when I leave Arsenal. Um, and yet he turned that team from being what, seventh, doing business on free transfers, undefeated season. And yeah, you could say that the mentality that that Juventus team had and has had over the last nine years basically comes from Conte. Um, Italy took the worst generation of Italy players since 1950 to believing they could win the European Championships in 2016, you know, um, going out on penalties in the quarterfinal to the then world champions Germany. And then, of course, at Inter, where did spend aggressively, but he felt they needed to in order to knock down the house he built, which was that Juventus side. Um, I just think, you know, with with you know, when you listen to some of the criticism of United over the last few years, it's like, what's the plan? Um, it's about shape. Uh, you guys probably don't follow Italian football as, as, as much as I do. You've got other beats to follow, but you know what an Antonio Conte team looks like. You know what the identity is. You just know what you're going to get. And I think it ultimately comes down to whether the squad is suitable, whether his character is suitable, rather than is he a good enough coach? Because in my opinion, um, you know, Conte is right up there with with Klopp, with Guardiola, with with Tuchel, and that's I think that's what United need really in order to make that last that's that last step, if you like, to be uh, a trophy winning team again. I suppose my question on Conte would just be. United reservation so they they would think that it is a he is a manager that would demand an awful lot which is props you could say you know you know he should be demanding an awful lot for Manchester United um you know they they should be having their cages rattled a little bit um but then it would burn fast and burn bright but burn out fairly quickly uh, and that's what they don't want they kind of want a progressive situation where they can keep building I don't know what do you what do you think to that James it would demand a lot I I, I think he would make United feel uncomfortable, but you know, it's one of those kind of um, 
management guru kind of sayings, but you know, let's let's get uncomfortable. You know, I think people encourage that. I think maybe United Structure needs that. They need someone to come in and say, "Hang on a minute, uh, your recruitment over the last few years it's been quite Galacticos based. You're very top heavy up front. You're lacking in these positions. You know, what's the structure internally like? You know, why have you got all these coaches?" what credentials has the sporting director got? He took a long time to come to that decision. He would point all of those things out. You know, he will find your weaknesses. Um, he would be expensive in terms of his salary, but I think, you know, when compared with, you know, Pep, Klopp, Simeone, for example, um, it would be what would be determined a competitive salary in for, for, for a coach who's achieved what he's done. Um, I think in terms of burnout, He's never lost a dressing room. Uh, yeah, I think those comparisons with Mourinho are just off. Um, yes, he works the players very hard. It is exhausting. But I think they feel at the end of it, they come, they come out feeling enriched and better for it. Um, also sometimes relieved <laughs> when he's gone because things lighten up a little bit, but they feel that they've learned something from the process and it was worth it. The friction has been basically with people upstairs when it's come to... Uh, I've overachieved so much. I've outgrown the league almost. You're going to expect me to win the Champions League. I expect to win the Champions League. And in order to do that, we need to do this and that in the transfer market. Um, but I, I think, you know, I mean, Conte has resigned from what three of his last four jobs. He hasn't been sacked. The only, the only place he got sacked was Chelsea. Everyone gets sacked at Chelsea. That's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah, it, it, in that regard... Um, you know, I, I don't think he's this idea that Conte is synonymous with toxicity doesn't doesn't really stack up um, for me. Um, he he just challenges. You know, he wants he wants the team to be better. He is insufferable in that regard. Um, but I think I think for all top sides, that's that's something that they kind of need, really. They need someone to be always pushing, never getting complacent. I looked at United and think, spending money's never been an issue for United. You know, that, that commercial machine just keeps bringing revenue out year after year. So I actually thought that there would be the grounds for him to actually have maybe a five years at United or something like that. The thing is, we kind of got away after Ferguson retired and then Wenger got sacked we kind of started to move away from this idea that managers need time and that that um uh, you can have a long-term manager at a club United haven't James they're the exception almost aren't they but this is the thing Klopp and Pep who are you know essentially your two biggest have have again made that the focus that all of a sudden you think oh Klopp's going to be there for another could be there for seven years you know Pep's been Pep, Pep's been there longer than anybody else, uh, longer Man City than he's been at any other club. Um, and all of a sudden now that is kind of shaping, I think, how maybe United are looking, well, first, how they view Solskjaer as well, and in that, as you've said, Laurie, they're building, to, to they've been building for the last three years and they don't want to basically break that down now. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I don't know where they go in finding a manager who could be, at United for five, seven, ten years. You know, people bring up Pochettino, but Pochettino's having to manage superstars at PSG, and it's it's not easy. You know, I mean, he's gonna. In, in some respects, the job he would have at PSG is more similar to the to the one that he'd have at United than the one he did at Spurs. Regardless of you know, at Spurs, he got to, you know, 
Spurs have some of the same values in terms of how they play football, bringing players through the academy. You look at the makeup of that United squad and what they do in the transfer market, it does feel more aligned with PSG than uh, than Spurs. Can I ask you about uh, Atalanta? How did they feel after the defeat at Old Trafford? Do you feel that they're going to be vengeful? And How big a deal is it for Manchester United to be playing in Bergamo for, for the first time? It's not a huge football city like Milan or, or Turin or Rome. No, I mean, it's just down the road from Milan. And uh, usually, um, you know, fans who grow up outside of, of Milan in Lombardy, they tend to support one of Milan or Inter, but that's just not the case in Bergamo. Bergamo is a hardcore town where the, the, the owners of the club Every newborn baby gets an Atlanta kit. You know they're they're literally born into it, um, and I, I think it will it will mean a lot because you know we've become accustomed to Atlanta being in the Champions League these last three years. But first year they were playing at San Siro their home games because they they were doing renovation at, at their their stadium in Bergamo, and then last year obviously the pandemic hit. So having these home games at um, the Geras Arena is is big. You know, they had Real Madrid there last year and they didn't have a crowd. So to have someone like United there is massive for them. Um, in terms of how they came away from that game at Old Trafford a couple of weeks ago, I mean, they felt they were so close to, to something special. Um, and yeah, the, the owner, Antonio Picassi, was saying, look, um, we didn't even play that well and we found ourselves 2-0 up. Um, so that, 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 was, that was encouraging. Um, that they, they felt they could score on United without playing their best football. Um, yeah, they looked at the the substitutes United were able to bring on. Um, yeah, Pogba, Sancho, and Cavani, and uh, <laughs> and we're saying, look, those guys taken together, you know, cost more than, than our entire squad. You can maybe cost more than our stadium and our squad um, all put together. So that's the difference. I, I think. Atlanta will not compromise on how they play football. They will go for it. Um, and they see uh, risk, they see reward in taking those risks. Certainly, I mean, we've seen in the Champions League, lost heavily to, to Liverpool in Bergamo, then beat them at Anfield. So, yeah, open game against uh, Ajax in Bergamo last year, beat them in Amsterdam. Um, but I think the one thing to, to United's favour is that um, they no longer have Papu Gomez who's gone to Sevilla, who was the kind of spark and, and the captain, really great to watch. So they're a little bit less explosive than they were. And also they've got so many injuries, um, particularly at the back and um, their, their wing backs as well, who are really important to that system. Gosens and Hatibur, they're still out. Um, but you, you, the thing is, what I'd say to United is, is if, you're, if they go and play the way they, they did against Spurs with that, that system, if you improvise... Uh, I mean, Italian, an Italian coach would never try a new system after working on it for five days um, or whatever. If they go, to, if they go there and improvise, that will be a problem. I think. Um, I think it will be better if they go with something that they know and they're more comfortable with, rather than something that they feel more secure and more more balanced in. Because Atlanta will take advantage of even in their current form will take it, take advantage of any kind of insecurity in that regard of oh, this is a new system. We need to kind of think about this. So it's really hard to call, Andy. Very hard to call. James, just very, very quickly, is Demiral back? Demiral is back. Yeah, I mean, he went off. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> His 45 minutes were absolutely fascinating. I was gutted when he went off. <laughs> just watching him sort of battle with Ronaldo and celebrate tackles and things like that. There was something really classic European Cup about that. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the thing about these these centre backs that Gasparini has. I mean, he's he's a great coach for them because they play a very aggressive front foot style, uh, even when they're defending. And he loves to play 1v1 all over the pitch. So he thinks nothing of putting Demiral against Cristiano. It's one of the reasons why Romero, for example, has gone from Atlantis to Spurs for 50, 55 million. Um, yeah, I suppose the other thing, you know, I've been told when you look at these Atlanta players that leave the system, the system makes them maybe look better than they are. They're still talented players, but within that collective, I think that's the measure of a coach, really. If you can discover a system which makes even really good individuals look better than they are. Um, and Demiral, for example. The, the thing is, Ian, I mean, Demiral could, can quite easily get sent off after 20 minutes. So <laughs> That's what was great about it. It was on yeah. the edge, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. James, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to read James's article on Conte, as well as, of course, Andy and Laurie's summit meeting with Dan Taylor about Solskjaer's future and all the issues surrounding Manchester United, go to The Athletic, get yourself a subscription if you've not got one. You can still get 33% off a new subscription as well when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Andy, that was great to hear from James. It was lovely to get a sort of an Italian insight ahead of this match. Um, he probably could have warned us before the first game that Manchester United might be in for some difficulty. Do you feel better after speaking to James about the trip to Bergamo? Or are you slightly more apprehensive considering the threat he sort of said at the end about if United experiment, Atalanta are going to make it very tough for them? I feel more confident after Spurs on Saturday. True. The fact that Atalanta are missing um, key players as well. And I think there's a realisation among the United players that the messing about has got to stop now. We've got to get results. It'd be really bad um, for Manchester United to lose the game. A draw wouldn't be a bad result in, in, in Bergamo. I feel really good that fans can travel to a beautiful city and watch the team again in Europe. It's the first time United have ever been to, to Bergamo. I know loads of Reds have travelled through the airport because it's, it's a cheap hub um, for Ryanair so for years when Manchester United were playing in Milan or Turin people would fly to Bergamo but never actually visit the city which is supposed to be really nice so I think it's um, something I'm really looking forward to I did in, enjoy the game at Old Trafford I know it was completely crazy uh, I love the way that they played uh, James said they didn't play uh, particularly well I think they were surprised at how open Manchester United's defence would be. So we've seen an about turn in the way Manchester United are now because against Tottenham, I think Varane makes a big difference for me, just his presence and, and his quality. And it's, it's difficult to say, I'm not going to predict the, the formation for, for the game <laughs> in, in, in Bergamo, but I, I'm, I'm not unconfident. I suppose now Solskjaer's got a decision, Laurie. You said before about taking off Bruno and Ronaldo and Cavani with an eye probably on the week that United have got with Atalanta in the Manchester derby. Somehow we've made it through to uh, how many minutes have we been recording for? About 40 minutes. We've not mentioned the Manchester derby, which is at the weekend, which is probably a measure of just how much is going on for Manchester United at the moment. But he's got a bit of a decision to make about personnel now, hasn't he? About whether he sticks with exactly the same players in this system, if he's going to stick to this system. Uh, and the one player really, I suppose, that people seem to be talking about now is Jadon Sancho and what's going to happen with him. Because... A lot of the others, you can sort of move around, you can play centre-forward, you can play in midfield, you know, 
Pogba comes back in, no problem. Uh, Rashford can play up front. Greenwood can play up front. Martial can play up front. Where's Jadon Sancho going to play? And the other question that lots of people have been getting in touch with, as always, Daniel O. When's Donny getting a game? Um, well, uh, I did see Donny at um, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium um, doing some action, um, but it was on the pitch before the game. It was during the warm-up. And actually, I feel like it's a new role. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but um, he was there with Michael Carrick doing the kind of layoffs to uh, players that were having shots on goal before the game to kind of warm themselves up. So it... He, I think he might have had a couple of shots himself, but he was he was the guy that basically was, you know, pass, move, pass, move. And then they were shooting, which feels a little bit odd. Like, is he a warm-up coach? Um, I mean, maybe quite an expensive very expensive one. one. Um, is it because that's his usual style? So, you know, the one-touch pass in, so he's warming up for that purpose, you know, not necessarily shooting. Um, I don't know, but it just, it looked a bit odd to me, um, you know, but equally... I'm sure there's some reason to it, um, but it never felt that he was going to get on the pitch, did it, against Tottenham. You know, the Nemanja Matic was the choice in midfield and you can see why, because he's come on against West Ham and played a pass to Jesse Lingard that's co- uh, that's caused a goal. He, he came on against Tottenham and, and played the pass to Marcus Rashford that caused a goal. And that actual sequence was quite interesting because obviously we're, we're so low uh, down by pitch side um, at that stadium that you can really get a sense of the player's uh, sort of feelings and emotions and what they're trying to do on the pitch uh, and Rashford had, as he does do he'd tried a couple of runs in behind just before getting the ball and Fred had kind of decided no it was too risky and Lingard had then thought no I, I can't play that pass and eventually Matic the situation develops and he can pick the pass so that was quite an interesting sequence I thought with Rashford coming off the bench and he is a really interesting player off the bench he could, he's, he's got explosive power and he's got finishing ability and against tiring defenders you think he could get in behind and get a shooting opportunity which is what he did um so does he come into the team um for tuesday obviously it's a saturday evening kickoff and then a, a tuesday night kickoff so you know there's not loads of days in between so you kind of think right well it does that mean that he's going to stick with the same team just because it's what they know and it's kind of you're in the in the groove of it or do you change it because you need to freshen it up um i wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of changes um and I echo what Andy said in terms of Rafael Varane being back. I think that's a huge thing. You know, when you look at Liverpool and Leicester, him being missing for those games and the organisation that he brought to the team before then, um, I think was really crucial. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I don't know what team he's going to play. But as you said, the Jaden Sancho question in this system, it does doesn't really obviously look to suit him. I mean, I think he can play centre forward. I think he might have done a sort of false nine for Dortmund in the past, but that is something to be figured out because you can't spend £73 million on a player and then this soon into the season have a system that doesn't appear to suit him. I mean, maybe he could be a number 10, but you've got Bruno in there and and he's, again, a very different type of player to Jadon Sancho in terms of the risk that he takes with his passing. I mean, Solskjaer actually mentioned that after the game, sort of said, I've had a word with Bruno about the risks that he's been taking and his decision making and he needs to be a bit better at it and he, he felt that he was um, against Tottenham but yeah the Sancho thing will be a big question mark as the season progresses if he continues to be on the bench. Yeah lots of questions Andy about the personnel in this system for Manchester United we'll go back to the midfield because that seems to be the one area that people keep coming back to. Um, you've got a question here from Zachary saying what's our best midfield pairing in a back five system? Is it Fred McTominay considering how well it went at the weekend? I think it is. There are better players in the world in that position than Fred and McTominay, but it, it's an insurance option. And I think we don't just look at the Tottenham game. I think we've got to look at Tottenham, Atalanta and City as these free matches. 
It's only a few days ago when the, the main stories were about whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was getting sacked or not. One win at Tottenham is not going to um, change things that much if United were to lose in Italy and lose against Manchester City. So the needs must which applied for Spurs, I think you can apply it for, for Atalanta and, and for City. Would you accept two nil-nil draws from both of those games? I think I probably would. I almost can't believe I'm saying this, but... Uh, the, the game in Italy is almost about stopping Atalanta winning. If you can take four points from them over the two games, United are not in the desperate group position that they were before those two home games against Villarreal and Atalanta. And City are obviously City. They've got their issues of their own. I'm not watching Manchester City every week, but I'm told by mates who do that Kevin De Bruyne is not playing anywhere near the standards that they usually is. So every club's um, got issues. I would um, I would go for similar to what happened at, at Spurs. I, I would I would just make it risk averse. Um, it's no one expects Cavani and Ronaldo to be playing all of the time, uh, but Cavani's barely played. There's a two week break after this um, from club football, albeit there's international football as well, so there may be further complications um, with that, but. I think you've got to take these three games as a free, and if United can come out of them um, unbeaten, then Ollie's position won't look quite as precarious as it did before before the Spurs game. No, that would be the response, wouldn't it, to that result against Liverpool, certainly, just to try and steady the ship a little bit. Thank you so much for all your questions. Absolutely brilliant, as always. Always look out for Laurie's cues on the real-time section of the Athletic app, and also in the post-match feeds as well, the Q&As that Laurie does after the games. We're going to round this off. Um, Vishal Andy has asked, does Oli need a weekly threat of the sack to show a level of urgency in how the team are set up to play? And actually, that question could have been asked by Roy Keane and Gary Neville because both of them on Sky at the weekend were sort of suggesting, why does it have to get to this stage for the tactical innovation and the tactical change that was shown at Spurs? It's been a trend, hasn't it? An, un, un, an unfortunate one, this roller coaster ride where right throughout Oli's time at Manchester United, you get to the point which you think that the team and, and his position is a desperate one. And there's been no time more desperate than before the Spurs game. Yeah. I think the pressure was on on the manager more than more than the owners, more than, than the players. And and I think with good reason, because he's had time to build his team, the signings he's bought, you know, he he's had time to make it his team. And and it and it can't go on. I think football teams are always going to lose matches. Just look at the other results this weekend. Even the best teams City and, and Liverpool both dropped points, but you had a situation going into Spurs where United had won two from seven matches, and that's that's just nowhere near good enough um, for a team, a club of, of Manchester United stature. Um, if Oli was to start losing again, then he's not back out the corner. He's still fighting in this corner, I think. He's, he's got to get out of it. There's still a huge amount of um, pressure on him, and he would say that as his squad gets stronger, more confident, and he might say uh, all of his players are back now, which he did before the game against Spurs, then in theory, everything should pick up and the team should be more consistent and they should be challenging for trophies. And then he brings in one or two players in the summer to make it absolutely um, his squad. But you can't be getting um, situations like this. Now, if United come out of this and win the league and win the Champions League, people will talk of it about uh, as being a blip. But... It doesn't seem like a blip at the moment. It seems a little bit deeper than that. And 
he's got to try and eradicate that part of his game. And I suppose that's just consistency as a collective, but also for individual players and also for him as a manager. And it still feels like United are at the best when they're almost more worried about the opposition than themselves, doesn't it? I mean, this was another example to add to a long list under Solskjaer where when they had a plan for the opposition, it brought the best out in them and they got the result they wanted. That's a team still in transition then. If you're playing to nullify your, your opponents rather than play to your own strengths, then that just shows where the team are. We didn't think it would be like this, did we? Not this season. But I also looked at the Premier League this weekend and I thought, the fact that Palace can go to City and get that result, it really is a plus for the league. That The teams financially are so strong that it makes the league more attractive, which is one reason it's the most popular league in the world. It doesn't feel like that when you're, you're losing at home to Aston Villa or Everton are getting a draw or Leicester put in four pasture, but... It does make it more exciting. Yeah, I don't know who said it, and I probably should have remembered this before I brought it up, but someone called the Premier League this season a viper's nest, which I, I thought was a lovely example that on any given day you can just get bitten um, when you don't expect it and you're just having a nice walk in the sunshine by the coast somewhere. I mean, Brighton coming back from 2-0 down to Liverpool was almost as as shocking as, as Palace's win at City, wasn't it, Laurie? And they played well, you know, you look yeah. at... You know, very well. Yeah, you look at the chances they created uh, and, and the character that they've got. I think that's credit to Graham Potter, who's obviously gone in there um, and has brought them on. He's you know a coach that I think a lot of people are, are looking at and, and admiring, seeing what he could do in future. Um, but yeah, I've seen his name in some of your articles. Well, that's actually. it. Yeah, you see, I, I'm probably one of those people that are looking at him, thinking he's he's actually quite good. Um, and but he drew at Anfield. He'll do. <laughs> Six foot three, tall presence. You know what I mean. Um, nice beard now as well. Exactly. Wish I, wish Got I... a decent Manchester haircut as well. Yeah. That's all right. I'm jealous of the beard. I can't. I can't grow any kind of facial hair. So that's that's me out of the out of the business. Um, but no, it, it does show. It, it it does show that all teams now have got plans, ideas. They've got. A, Ability to spend, so yeah, they can get beat. But as Andy says, United should not be getting beaten in the way that they were getting beaten with the you know extensive run of, of sort of scratchy performances. No, amen to that. Right, Laurie, Andy, thank you so much for joining us and coming on and doing Talk of the Devils as always. Thank you, you at home, for listening, all your questions and comments as well. Look out, of course, for the next podcast on Thursday where we're hoping to report some sort of positive news from Italy and maybe... Manchester United might even be able to get a result which will give them one foot in the knockout stages of the Champions League. But for now, we'll see you on Thursday. Thanks for listening to Talk of the Devils. Bye-bye. Athletic.